Welcome, Welcome to, to the Better, Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. More stories you are not going to believe. And advice that you didn't know that you needed. Five stars. Five and a half stars. We're creating a legacy one call at a time. Here comes my daddy. Your problem is, is that you like me. <laughs> my dad is my hero. I'll always be there to take your call. And you'll never be in too much trouble if your dad is around. Oh, boy. I think I'm a pretty cool dude. Better call daddy. The safe space for controversy. This is your host, Rena Friedman Watts. No, this is your host, Celia Watts. More inspirational stories, more daddy drama, and more laughs. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. Today's guest is a truly inspirational leader. And good news is, he says anyone can learn to be a trust and inspire leader. Stephen M.R. Covey, this is round two. Here we go. Hello, hello. Hey, great to see you. Great to see you. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to have you on again. What an honor. Thank you. I, I had so much fun the last time that it was just exciting for me to come back. Oh my gosh, I listened to that episode and I actually wanted to start with how we ended. I thought that that could be fun. And remind me how we ended. Yes. So you gave me a quote from your father and you oh, said, yeah, yeah. be a light, not a judge, be a model, yeah. not a critic. Yes. Yes. And I love that because your father has been involved in your life in so many ways. And that is such the reason why I'm doing this entire podcast, because my dad and I have the same type of relationship. That's beautiful. Genuinely beautiful. So I would love to talk about being a part of the solution and looking at yourself in the mirror versus out the window. I think that's great. That's the heart of my message and the starting point and of my father's. Yeah, let's talk about that. What was it like being one of nine children and him making space for each one of you? Amazing, because it wasn't without its struggles being one of nine. But what was amazing is how both my dad and my mom, you know, each of us felt like we were the favorite. (laughs) That's hard because they made us feel that way just by dedicating themselves to us, spending time with us, um, listening to us. And also always adapting and responding to people's needs. I'll give you one example of that. You know, my dad was not a big science fiction guy, but my sister, Catherine, she was. And so when the Star Wars came out and everything, you know, that would not be my dad's first choice of a movie to go to. But, oh, my sister loved it. And so my dad, while he didn't like science fiction per se, he loved his daughter. (laughs) And, and so, and she loved science fiction. And so he would go with her to the, all the Star Wars, Wars movies over time. And it became a tradition. And even though he wasn't necessarily, it wouldn't have been his first choice on his own. She was his first choice. And he would go with her to those movies. And it was just that kind of approach of just feeling valued, loved, appreciated for who they were and not trying to make them into someone that my parents wanted them to become. It was, it was recognizing who each of us was as a child. And running with that and running with those as strengths. That is honestly, though, so hard to do. Really hard. Yeah. I mean, did he have any mentorship in, in raising children? Like, I feel like people today, like, need mentorship there. I know. You, you know, the closest thing to mentors is kind of your own parents, how you were raised. And he had great parents, too. My grandparents, 
And my grandmother was always so affirming. And she used to do things like, this is again, a story that was passed on to me by my dad that he remembers one time he was going to have a, a big test in school and he was all nervous about it. You know, he was a, maybe a teenager, all nervous about this test. He'd been studying and everything, but he's really nervous. And he remembers uh, being asleep and then waking up with my grandmother, his mother, standing over him and just whispering, you are going to do so great tomorrow on this test. You are going to do so great. And she was whispering soft enough as if just to only speak to his subconscious. She didn't know that he had awoken and was hearing this. And she didn't do it for hours, but it was just, just a few minutes. Just, just this affirmation speaking to a subconscious, you can do this. You're going to do so great. And it's maybe one of the reasons why my, my father was so affirming of us kids is that he was affirmed as a, as a child himself. And so I do think we kind of get our parenting from how we were raised, but maybe we can look around and hear stories from other people, other parents, and maybe come up with some thoughts and ideas that could be helpful to, especially for those that maybe weren't raised in great circumstances or with parents who really trusted and inspired us as I talk about in this Trust Inspire book. So, you know, I acknowledge that not everyone has that kind of situation, maybe less than most do, and, and we're fortunate to have it, but we need models because models can become mentors. And, and sometimes another person you can look to and say, that's a, that's a great idea that I want to practice and adopt that I got from somebody else, but I really like the idea. You know, my husband, right before this interview, because I was feeling a little nervous, he said something so similar to me. He was like, Rena, you always do a good job. He was like, you've got this. And how lucky am I to have a husband that says that to me? And even I've joined Toastmasters this year and I was kind of like unsure of whether I wanted to continue on with it. And my mentor in Toastmasters said to me, Rena, you bring great energy. I think that you're getting your goals accomplished by being a part of this. So just that little nudge from my Toastmaster mentor made me sign up for another six months. <laughs> it's just little messages, little affirmations like that can change your entire performance and whether you even want to go forward. Totally. It's so impactful and it doesn't take a lot. We just have to be sincere. Yeah. If it's not sincere, it doesn't have the same impact. But when someone believes in you and sees greatness in you, and then they communicate that to you, just like your husband, you got this, you love this, you're good at this. You do every show as a great show. And he believes in you and he sees that greatness in you. And he communicates it to you so that you say, yeah, I do got this, don't I? And then your person at Toastmasters, you know, you're finding your voice. This is you. Better call daddy. That you're, this is you, Rena. And, you know, and someone affirming you. And it's just amazing how those little things are big things. So big. And, yeah. In relationships, the little things are the big things. And I would say this, in affirmation, in, in helping someone see their potential, the communication of that is so critical. And, I, and I, I call that an affirmation of, of what it does to people and how they relate to it. And they start to believe it in themselves. They see it in themselves and it validates them and it gives them confidence. And it's a little thing that's a big thing. Yeah. Can you talk about the example you gave in your Trust Inspire book about the CEO who wrote thank you letters to their employees? I absolutely love that. Yeah, beautiful. It was Indra Nui. She was CEO of PepsiCo, you know, a big global company. 
you know, lots of employees all over the world. And what happened is when she was named the CEO at PepsiCo, she went to visit her mother in India. Now her, her father had already passed away. So she went to visit her, her parents, her mother was still living and everyone came to see Indra and, and to see her mother. And when they all came, they were so proud because Indra was CEO, but nobody went up to Indra and said, Indra, congratulations, you're CEO. Instead, they all went up to Indra's mom <laughs> and they said, wow, you're an amazing mother. You produced a CEO child. Look at this. Look at what she's accomplished. You deserve to be praised. And Indra would say, not a word to me. And all the praise came to my mom. And she, Indra was okay with that. She actually saw what it did to her mom. It lit her mom up. Her mom was inspired. Her mom felt so great. And so when Indra came back, she said, you know what? I, I saw what that kind of praise did to my mother. I'm going to do the same for the parents of my executives, of my leaders. And so what she did was she literally wrote personal letters to the parents of all her executives, as many as 400 of these letters to the parents where she would Thank them for raising such a great son or daughter that was on her executive team or on her leadership team and would praise them and say, you've done an amazing job because your daughter is so insightful and has such experience and, and wisdom. And we, you're using that to build our business. Thank you for raising such a daughter and you, or your son is so good at this and builds a culture and a team. Thank you, because I am confident he learned this from you. But she took the time to write personal notes that were heartfelt around all the reasons why she loved the son or daughter of those parents she was writing to and how great they were at the business that she was leading, how valuable they were to her and to the business, and how she praised them for raising such a child. And what that did was, it, first of all, it just absolutely thrilled the parents across the board. They, they all love Indra because Indra took the time to recognize them. You know, parents, it's a thankless job. Sometimes you, you only get the bad stuff, but oh, here's man. now someone years later when, you know, their kids already raised and they're being praised for doing such a great job. So the parents all loved Indra, but the kids or her, her direct reports, these leaders, they all loved it too, because they saw what this did to their parents and everyone loves their parents. And here's now their parents are just lit up and, and that made them excited. More than anything, they just felt like Indra cared. She cared about, cared about them. She cared about their parents. And uh, that kind of caring inspires people. And, you know, that wasn't by being, you know, charismatic or by, you know, having insight that no one else has. No, that was just common decency of humanity, of empathy, of caring, of compassion, and of recognition and acknowledgement in the form of a letter that was personally written. It just shows that I'll take the time to show that how much I care. And that inspires people. Anyone could do that. And, you know, it's just a powerful little, little example that again is a big thing. Yeah. You know, I told my husband that story and he said, when he got an opportunity at Lawrence Berkeley lab, he took his mom and his stepdad to visit there. And someone who he worked for said, good job to his parents. He said, that is the only time in his career that it, that had happened. And just from giving him that example in your book, he immediately thought of that because it doesn't wow. happen often enough. Right. Right. Well, that's amazing. Look, it's the only time it happened. They said, you know, Andrew told me a similar thing that in most of these cases, 
no one had had anything like this at all in their life. The closest thing they had to it was maybe when their kids were really young, but usually that's your kid is misbehaving. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and something's wrong here and get control of your kid. And, and <laughs> so it's usually negative, but she said in most situations, no one had ever been told what a great child they had. And thank you for raising such a child, just like your husband said in that situation that someone praised parents and what it did to them. Oh, they so, were so proud. So and it proud. changed the whole experience of even seeing the place. Yeah. And you interpret everything through that lens, you know, so it's, it's such a demonstration of caring, shows concern, shows interest. And my point is, because I often get asked, well, Stephen, in the Trust and Inspire book, I'm making a bold statement that everyone can inspire, that you, we can all inspire other people. And most people, when they think of inspiration, they kind of think of charisma, that gosh, if I'm going to inspire someone, I got to be charismatic and I'm just not charismatic. And so you can't ask me to inspire and I'm separating charisma from inspiration. And I'm saying, look, I know a lot of people who are charismatic, but who I would not describe as inspiring. I know other people who no one would describe as charismatic, but who are very inspiring because of how they connect with people and they're caring and they're not necessarily charismatic and with an oversized personality, but they are very inspiring because they're so genuine and real and authentic and caring and inspires. And so separate there's charisma and inspiration are not the same. Everyone can inspire and you inspire others when you connect with people by demonstrating caring like Indra did. And also on a team, you, you create a sense of belonging that inspires people, a sense of a belonging and inclusion. So I'm part of something, I'm part of a team that inspires. And then also when you connect people to purpose and to meaning and to contribution, to mattering, that inspires. And we all can learn to do this. So here's, here's my effort on this. In our family growing up, we would have family meetings every so often, you know, we tried to do it weekly, just a little family gathering, get together. And we'd start off with, with a family model that we'd come up with. And I'd have the kids repeat the model and, and uh, because I said, this is our family model. And it was these words. I am important because I belong to a family that loves me. Mm, it's I a simple that. statement. And, but I remember, you know, my three-year-old, okay. I said, okay, let's start our family meeting. Let's start with our family model. Who wants to go first? And then, you know, my three-year-old would say, I am important because I belong to the fam to a family that loves me. And and I remember one time he had gotten separated from us. It wasn't a, a danger thing where we were worried about where he, where he was, but he, we just got kind of lost. And so the person that was with him was saying, now, let me help you find your parents. So tell me your name and who are you? And he said, he gave him his name. And then he said, and I am important because I belong to a family that loves me. <laughs> That's what the person told me later when they found us, you know, with the child. And I thought, you know, this is seeping in. And I want him to feel a sense of belonging because we're part of a family. And, you know, and you can have belonging on a family just like you can have belonging on a team. That inspires people and we can all do it. I love that story. That is so good and totally typical of like a three-year-old. Yeah. Yeah. Just, oh my God. I'm important. <laughs> He's like, I know that's my message. That's my message. I don't know where I'm at, but here's my name. And this is my message. <laughs> like, right. You know, name, rank and serial number. This is mine. <laughs> oh my God. That is so good. But yeah. 
how do you get that? Like, there's so many times where you just need your kids to behave and you resort to command and control, like you call it in the book. Yeah. But by the way, I've never heard that until your, your book. And then all of the terms that go along with it, like rank and file and all of these military terms, it is so accurate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of when, when, when people hear the words command and control, it kind of says, yeah, that's it. I get it. You know, that, that does it in parenting. It might be, my way or the highway type of thing, you know, just kind of, I'm going to dictate and, and yes, look, I, I'm a, I'm a dad <laughs> and, and um, parenting's hard and you do the best that you can. And sometimes you got to be firm. I mean, you know, trust and inspire does not mean that you're, you're hands off. I like to put it this way. If command and control means I'm exceptionally hands-on and hovering over and micromanaging and dictating, well, the opposite of that is not trust and inspire. No, the opposite of command and control is abdicate and abandon. It's to be completely hands-off where I don't even care. I'm not involved. I'm just advocating, abandoning any leadership role, any parenting role. You know, that's not going to work. So trust and inspire is hand in hand. So, yeah. you know, command and control is ex excessively hands-on. Abdicate and abandon is completely hands-off. Trust and inspire is hand-in-hand. Hand. And look, and sometimes you have to be more firm. If your child is running into the street, you're not going to say, I trust you to make the right decision and come back. No, you're going to grab the child and just pull them back because you got to act in their interest, their safety. Even their interpretation of that will feel different to them when they know you care about them. You've, you love them. They feel that love. You believe in them and they feel that you believe in them. They interpret kind of firmer behavior differently than if someone doesn't feel loved or mm -hmm. someone doesn't feel like my parents believe in me. And then you might do the very same thing and they might interpret it like, boy, they're my parents sure are rough on me and it's my way to the highway. So again, this it's not a one size fits all, but the idea is that we can be trust and inspire parents with our kids. And that simply means we believe in them and we see their potential. We're trying to build that relationship. We still could have very high expectations. <laughs> and in fact, you need to because low expectations inspire no one. And we can still be demanding without being overbearing. You can, you can still, in a sense, have control without being controlling. And you do it through kind of building the relationship, building agreements, and so that you extend trust to people and say, I trust you to, to, to take on this responsibility. And, but I want you to report back once a week on how you're doing against it. And you build an agreement together. My dad did this with me with Green and Clean, the famous seven habits story of me as a seven-year-old boy being taught how to take care of our, our yard, our lawn. Long story made short is, you know, he trained me for a couple of weeks. I want the yard to be green and clean, taught me how to turn on the sprinklers, all the things. And then he gave it to me. He trusted me. And at first I kind of let him down, didn't come through, but then, but then he went back to the agreement, which was that we'd walk around twice a week. And I would tell him how we're doing, how I was doing on the yard against the standard of green and clean. And when I did that, I realized that when I had done nothing for like five days in the middle of the summer and the lawn was turning yellow, when I we walked around and I saw the lawn is yellow, it's not green. Again, I'm a seven-year-old boy and it's not very clean. And then my own conscience kicked in and my own sense of judging myself was, I'm not doing this. And it was at that moment, I realized this is my job. My dad's not 
he's not taking this back. He's, he's given it to me. And I asked him if, if, if he would help me. He said, I'd, I'd be happy to help. I've got time. And, and, and I, I gave him a garbage sack and I asked him to go pick up the garbage and he did it. And here I was a seven-year-old telling my dad what to do. Could you go pick up that garbage? And he says, I'm your helper. I'll do whatever you say. And, and I realized at that moment, this is my job. I own it. And, and from that day forward, I took care of the yard. It was green and it was clean. I didn't have to be told to do it again as a seven-year-old which is pretty unusual. I'm not praising myself. I'm praising my dad for building the relationship with me first, building an agreement with me with expectations and accountability built in, and then extending the trust to me and staying with it, not pulling it back when I kind of let him down at first, letting me learn, grow, and letting me, letting me grow as a person. And that's what I mean by, you know, you can still be trust and inspire and have control built in with how we send the trust to our kids. So none of this is easy, Rena. We know that, right? Oh yeah. There's a lot of steps in that. A lot of steps. How do you transfer that to the workplace? Yes. In, in many respects, it's maybe easier in the workplace because it's more expected in that, you know, if you're going to extend trust to someone, there needs to be a sense of expectations and accountability if you do it really well. And so I think that, I think you're upfront, you declare your intent. I want to extend trust and I want to be as trusting as I can as a leader. And we need to get the job done because I'm going to be held accountable for it. And so I'm going to delegate and empower and give you responsibilities. I don't want to micromanage. I don't want to be command and control and hover over, but we also have to make sure the job gets done and I need to know about it. So what if we were to build an agreement together around the expectations of the trust I'm giving and how we know how we're doing and then when and how you'll be accountable. You can judge yourself against the criteria and just report back to me on how, how you're doing on the job against the agreed upon criteria. And maybe, maybe if, if we're not quite sure if the person's ready for it, maybe initially the accountability is very frequent. Maybe it's daily, but then as they prove that they can do it, maybe I go to weekly or maybe monthly or maybe just routinely, you know, so it's not a one size fits all. I'm, I'm building an agreement, meeting people where they're at of how I can extend more trust to them with expectations and accountability. And, but the whole point is if we're going to build more trust We've got to become more trusting and it's not enough to be trustworthy because you could have two trustworthy people working together and no trust between them if neither person is willing to extend trust to the other. So we, as leaders today, we need to be trusting as well as trustworthy. And so that's, that's vital. That's one of the stewardships of a leader. I, I call it three stewardships. You model, you trust, you inspire. And we've given a lot of focus on being trustworthy, not, and which is good. I want to elevate an equal amount of focus on being trusting. Yeah. You know, I did a poll on LinkedIn asking people, well, first telling them that everyone could be a leader because that was something new in your book and a strong statement that you declared. And I said, which one of these areas trust, inspire, or modeling do you need to work on? And you know, what was so interesting just of the followers that I have on LinkedIn, it was almost equal in my results of where people thought they needed to work on. So I did find that to be interesting. I thought maybe one area people would pick more than the other. It was almost in thirds. That, that's fascinating. I want to get a copy of your, your poll. I want to see the output. Yeah, I will. Well, it may not be scientific. I think it's very representative, but it kind of squares with my experience because in my speeches, my keynotes and in my workshops, I try to get into action, you know, rather than just tell people about trust inspired leader, I want them to choose to work on things to become a trust inspired leader. And so I'll go through the three stewardships, modeling, trusting, inspiring. And I'll ask, would you pick one of these to work on? And it's not that 
you know, we ignore the other two. It's just, it's hard to do everything at once. And there might be one that kind of stands out where you say, you know what, I'm a pretty good model, I think. And I trust a lot, but boy, this idea of inspiring, that's new to me. Or the other way around of, I think I'm pretty trusting. And, and I think I really try to I inspire by caring. I, I connect people to purpose, but modeling scares the heck out of me. <laughs> that was me. I was like, I read the description of modeling and it stopped me dead in my tracks. I had to take a pause and a breath. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was like, oh no. Well, the good news is we don't have to be perfect as a model. We just have to be trying. It's, it's kind of like last time I was on your show, Rena, I talked about how my dad, when he was asked, do you live the seven habits? And he said about 80% of the time, <laughs> he goes, I try a hundred percent, but I fall short all the time. And so same thing with modeling. We just, you know, we're just doing our best to, to model the kind of behavior we'd like to see with our kids, with our colleagues at work. And the main point on modeling is that someone needs to go first and leaders go first. So we're the first to demonstrate respect when there's not enough respect in the workplace. We're the first to be transparent and open and vulnerable when there's a lack of transparency and openness. We're the first to talk straight when everyone around us is spinning, you know, and we maybe we're the first to extend trust when no one trust anybody. You know, that takes courage. Those are the best leaders. And I have to say, unfortunately, I haven't worked that many like that. Well, the good news is that means you can stand out as a leader and be, and be truly a model that you say, boy, you know, Irina is this way. She goes first. She models it. And, and because there's not that many that do it, a leader that does do it stands out. My dad does it. I've seen Your that in him. It. Yeah. And I admire that so much. I see him in the trenches with his workers. And I think that's why he had people that worked for him for 30 years. Oh, wow. Absolutely it is. They, they would not work for him for 30 years if he were not modeling. That will turn people off when they have choices and options. At some point in 30 years, someone's going to have choices and options. But they choose to stay because they believe in that person. They probably saw, I'll bet your dad is good at all three stewardships. Oh, yeah. At modeling at trusting and extending trust to people and at inspiring because he cares. <laughs> he did he say though recently, he's like, try having some kids of your own. It's not so easy. <laughs> well, we all know that. I know that too. It's not. Irina, I, I used to say this, that I used to have no kids and lots of theories on how to raise them. Now I have lots of kids and no theories on how to raise them <laughs> because oh it's gosh, hard. Yeah, it really, yeah. truly is. But congratulations. Yeah. I hear you have one kid uh, getting drafted. Well, Maybe, maybe um, he's, he's, he's declared for the draft. Uh, this is my son, Britton, and he's a great college football player. He was named an All-American, first team All-American as a return specialist, a great punt returner, also does kickoff returns, and then is a slot receiver. Whether he gets drafted or not, I don't know, because he's not projected necessarily to be drafted, but he could be because there are teams interested in him. You know, but he's got, uh, he's shorter. He's only 5'8". But you don't have to be, you know, there, there's a role now in the NFL for a, a slot receiver and a punt returner that where they don't have to necessarily be huge. And so there are some comparables, they call them like that. And he's very quick, very fast. And there's a chance he gets drafted. And, he could be and, that leader. Yeah. He could be exactly that perfect role. Yeah, exactly. And if he doesn't get drafted, I think someone will want to sign him as a free agent. So he'll, I think he'll get a chance to fight to get a, a, you know, to make a team, to get a roster spot. So, but I will say this, let me say this, that he had 
a trust and inspire leader in his life, which is why he ended up where he did. He ended up at the University of Utah, and but he had grown up a fan of the rival school, to University of Utah, which was BYU. He, he'd been a fan of theirs, but he ended up going to Utah because, you know, in high school, again, being short, a lot of people kind of said, well, you're a good high school player, but we don't, we, there's no way this is going to translate to the college level. It's just, a you know, people are bigger and, and everything. So he was getting no interest from any college recruiters, not even the division two schools and the junior colleges. Nobody had interest in him. And they, they said, we think you're a great hire. And then after being told this by all kinds of people and not even the small schools being interested, suddenly Kyle Whittingham comes forward, University of Utah. There's a power five school, Pac-12 conference, big school, big conference, big school. And they are the first to offer him a scholarship saying, we believe in you. We don't see size. We just see a playmaker. We want you on our team and we're giving you this scholarship. And so suddenly to have no one believe in you, to then have someone believe in you who's playing at the highest level of college football, you know, a power five school and a Pac-12 conference, that changes your world. And suddenly his loyalty shifted from the rival school who'd, who'd grown up cheering for. And now the rival of that school, in this case, the University of Utah, the head coach believes in you and wants you on their team. That changes your world. So he joins and then he's had a great, great career because someone believed in him and took a chance on him and, and helped him come to really believe in himself that he could do it at this level. So he's a product of, of a trust and inspire coach. And what somebody it does to gave people. him that affirmation that we were talking about earlier. Absolutely. They gave him the affirmation. They, they communicated the belief to him so clearly that he began to see it in himself. And, and uh, that's remarkable. So, you know, and this is in command and control sport like football. You can still have trust and inspire leaders that can be authoritative without being authoritarian, that can believe in people and still hold people accountable. See, it's not this either or thing. And, and that's too often where people think trust and inspire might be too soft. Believe me, Kyle Whittingham is not soft. He's a, he, he is a, a, a very strong figure, but he's also someone who cares deeply about his players and who believes in his players and who communicates that belief to them and they respond to it. And, and, uh, and, and you know, he been, had he been called small? Had he had struggles with that? Yes. Yes. That, that basically the, the other, when he was being recruited, the other coaches said, you're too small. You're maybe not too small to play great in high school, but you're too small to play great in college. And, and that's why Britain started to wonder, well, maybe I am too small and no one's offering me, not even small schools are offering me. And that's when suddenly the head coach from a large school, power five conference comes in and says, we don't see size. We see just a great playmaker. And we want you on our team. That kind of affirmation, that kind of belief, seeing the greatness inside of him changed his world. And, and he goes to his rival because they believed in him. Oh my God. I absolutely love that. You know, it's so crazy. So we're moving to a new place right now. We're, that's why I'm not at home. I'm in Houston and my, my husband just got a new job and my son took a three and a half hour placement exam today, which can, you know, make you feel a little insecure and unsure yeah. of yourself. And, you know, we're looking at all these schools in Texas and I was like, ah, you know, if you don't get in, I'm like, we'll get you tutors. You know, it's, it's never over. I was like the first time I auditioned to get into a youth performance. Art school that I really 
wanted to go to, I didn't get in. And my dad went to the head of the music department and he was like, I'll get her music lesson. She'll learn how to read music. She'll learn how to sing in Italian. Give her three months, let her (laughs) re-audition. And that's sucking up some pride though, because everybody else got in on their first try, you know, and I felt that but I, I still really wanted to go there. So I took the singing lessons. I took the piano lessons. I learned how to read music. I sang in a foreign language and they let me in. Yeah. So my dad was like, uh, if he doesn't get in, I'll make a phone call. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I believe that might work. (laughs) He's very convincing. There's always a way if you really want to go there or if you really want to do something, there's always a way. There's always a way. I love that. That's that's grit. But Dr. Angela Duckworth, she wrote that brilliant book called Grit, which is a combination of passion and perseverance. And the premise is that the you know, people with that, that grit, that keep at it, that stay, that persevere, stay at it and stay passionate. Don't lose that. And that ultimately that can move people ahead versus just people that are just immensely talented, but don't have that grit. And that doesn't mean there's not some talent in that person. There's talent in everyone, but they are, you know, you're out, you're out to prove it, to develop it, but you show so much when you do that That's a powerful story. Oh yeah. I re- I recently recaught up with this girlfriend of mine that I worked with in Hollywood in 2007 and she has stuck it out for the last two decades. And now she's an executive producer and she's worked with NASA and Oprah's network and all of these, um, she's wow. an Emmy. Yeah, she's had such an amazing career. And she was saying, you know, like film school is nice, but she's watched people start off as an executive assistant, as a runner, as a PA, learn everything all the way up. And now they're network level. So that's inspiring to me. That, that's inspiring. That's really inspiring. See, that starts with the premise. In this Trust and Inspire book, I talk about the fundamental beliefs, which is kind of the paradigm, how people see the world. And the very first belief for a Trust and Inspire leader is this, that people have greatness inside of them. Not just a couple people, but all people do. And so if I believe that, that people have greatness inside of them, then my job as a leader is to try to unleash their potential as opposed to try to control them or contain them because I see that there's greatness. And so I want to unleash it. As a parent, I see my child has greatness. I may not be seeing it now. You know, I've learned that the best advice I can give on parenting is to try to treat people and your kids according to their potential, not just their behavior. Now, you can't ignore the behavior. You have to be aware of it. But people tend to rise to the level of the expectation. It's that quote, I forget who said it, that if you treat people like they are, they'll stay as they are. But if you treat people as they they could become, they will become that person. It might have been Emerson, but I can't remember. But that's the idea of treat people according to their potential. And so if, if as a leader, you see people as having greatness inside of them, that means that I have a growth mindset, not just for myself. I have a growth mindset for others. And I'm trying to now figure out how can I see that potential, communicate the potential, develop it, and unleash it. And that's my job. And suddenly I have a, a new job as a leader, which is to unleash the capabilities, the talents of the people that I lead to get the job done, but also to grow the people. And that combination is, is what makes it trust and inspire. See, command and control tries to use people to get work done, but it's about the work not about growing the person. And we know we have to get the work done. So I'm not downplaying that, but we're always trying to do two things. Yes, get the job done and grow the people. I think if you grow the people, they'll definitely stay there longer. Otherwise it becomes transactional. 
Yep. They'll stay there longer. They'll be like the people with your dad that have been there for 30 years because they probably feel like he's not just using them. Command and control, you feel like you're being used. You feel like you're a cog. You're just an asset to be used. And if I'm gone, someone else would just take my place. It, you know, I'm fungible. I'm just part of a machine almost. And, and I'm, I'm a thing. And trust and inspire is, is the dignity and the worth and the value of each person. And I'm a person. And so you manage things, but you lead people. But command and control leaders, they manage people as if they were things. And it feels impersonal. And it feels, you know, that I'm being used and just to get the result and the outcome. Whereas an interest and inspire leader, I still need to get the result and the outcome. It's just that I'm partnering and I'm teaming and I'm collaborating with people where I care as much about their growth and their development as I do the outcome. And, and so then people do stay. And, and today people have choices and options like never before. And they're not going to stay with someone that doesn't trust them and inspire them and believe in them when they have other choices and options. And command and control doesn't work very well today. It maybe did in the past, but I don't think it worked great in the past. I think it might've worked because it was socially acceptable. But today where people have options and choices like never before, where people can work from home, work from anywhere in many cases, or hybrid, they're going to go to where they feel trusted, where they feel inspired. And the leaders that do that, the companies that do that, are going to have a huge advantage at winning that war for talent. Plus, it's a lot more fun to be part of a high-trust team, high-trust culture. You enjoy it more. And command and control is no fun. It's exhausting. Here, here's, a, here's a metaphor for it. So to inspire means to breathe life into. So I, when I inspire someone, I breathe life into, into them. I ignite the fire within. That comes from trust and inspire. Command and control is like sucking life out of. And cultures that suck the life out of people, that's exhausting, no fun. And as soon as I can, I'll go find another place. It may be a while before I can, but be, as soon as I can, I will. Whereas trust and inspire, I'll be like the people with your dad. I'll be there 30 years because I feel valued as a human being. I feel trusted. I feel inspired. That doesn't mean they're perfect. I'm sure your dad's not perfect, but it means that I approach people as people, not as things. And I manage things, but I lead people. People don't want to be managed. People want to be led. We want to be trusted. We want to be inspired. We all do. I ask our listeners, do you want to be managed or led? You know, do you want to be trusted and inspired? What happens when you have someone who trusts and inspires you? You know, like my dad did with me as a seven-year-old boy, like you're describing and, and others that when someone believes in them, trusts them, inspires them, what does that do to you? And, you, you know, do you need to be managed or do you, you just, you find your own inspiration? You rise to the occasion, you perform better. You want to, you want to prove that person right, that the trust in, placed in me was justified. And that's what happens with a trust and inspire leader. So think through if you have a, maybe there's a family member or a, a friend or a coach or a, someone at work that believe in you, what that did to you. Now then do one more thing and, and say, could you become that kind of person for somebody else? Could you be that person for another where you are the trust and inspire leader, maybe for one of your kids or for a friend or for a worker? where you become the person that believed in them, just like someone believed in you. That's the idea. It's so amazing too, because very few people seek you out for a thank you. Yeah. I mean, you can probably count the number of people who have done it. And I, I don't know how many books you wrote a personal message in, but that is amazing. That is amazing that you do that. It's very yeah. special. And I'm sure that that's part of the reason why you've hit the New York Times bestselling list because it's, it's really special and it sticks out and not very many people do it anymore. Yeah, I, I will say that I do it because I care. And I also do it because I know that it does 
impact people. It inspires them. I'm trying to model what I'm talking about. And I'm saying, if everyone can inspire, that includes me. And how will I inspire? I'll just try to do a little thing in a caring, loving way that shows I, I care. And, and I think those little things do add up and they matter. And, and so I, I'm trying to, trying to model what I'm talking about <laughs> as best I can. Yeah, I fall short too. <laughs> I'm like my daddy. On any new commitments? Well, this has been one of my commitments is actually that I'm going to try to really focus on relationships one person at a time. And it's hard when you have, we have, we all have acquaintances. I mean, you looked at, you know, all these relationships on LinkedIn or other places, and it's hard to be everywhere for everyone, right? You can't do it. But in the relationships that I really matter most to me, I'm just always trying to make with family members and close friends, I'm trying to make a deposit into the trust account of those, of those important relationships. And with my family, I try to do it every day with somebody. I don't always do it, but I'm trying to become mindful of it. And, and again, this is not with 50 people. This is with my wife and my children to try to make a small deposit. Is that how you build back up trust by yeah. putting in more deposits than withdrawals? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, one withdrawal can, can deplete the whole account <laughs> and the deposits build slow, <laughs> but you're trying to, you're trying to build that relationship, a, a, a trust balance so that if you make a mistake, maybe there's a, there's enough trust to say, I know that wasn't like you because I've seen a better side of you and, and you get the benefit of the doubt because you've built enough of, of the trust balance in the account, in the relationship. Yeah, it's a beautiful metaphor that started with my father in, in Seven Habits. He called it the emotional bank account. And I just applied it to trust and called it the trust account. You try to make deposits, you try to avoid withdrawals. And, you know, and the first deposit to make is really to listen to another person so you learn what a deposit is to them. Because it might be different for different people. It's kind of like Gary Chapman's book, The Five Love Languages. You know, where someone might be, hey, I'm an acts of service person. So don't praise me, just do the dishes, you know, <laughs> Show, do something like that. And you try to learn what, what, what a deposit is to another person. I know your husband will do like five acts of service and you're like, all I want is some words of affirmation. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> what's your love language? That type of thing. I, I think Gary Chapman is, you know, onto something beautiful. And so it's a similar idea of understanding what a deposit is to another, but there's universal deposits. An act of kindness is a deposit always and an act of caring, like what Indra Nui did with writing those personal notes. That's, that's always going to be a deposit. It's going to build trust. It's going to build a relationship. It's going to build, it's going to inspire. And uh, we need more inspiration in our world, just like we need more trust. And I'm asserting that inspiring others is a learnable skill. Everyone can inspire. I love that. Yeah. I wanted to ask you too, because you give us a list of things that we can do to become a trust and inspire leader. I read every single one of those. And I was wondering, was that inspired by Proverbs? It's inspired not directly, but indirectly in that these are universal principles that apply everywhere in different cultures. And most, most religions would have those same principles as part of it because they're part of being human and affecting us with people, but also most enduring philosophies that may not be tied to religion at all would have those universal principles. Like, you know, what in Christianity is called the golden rule. That is a universal principle. You do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That applies in every religion. They had their version of the golden rule. 
And in, in enduring philosophies and approaches of civilizations, they have some version of that. And so I think anytime you're dealing with principles that are universal, depending upon someone's tradition and their beliefs, they can say, hey, that's coming from Proverbs here. Or someone might say that's coming from the Gita in India, or that's coming from the Quran in a Muslim culture, or that's coming from Confucianism. And so that's what I've tried to focus on is that, but I'm, but I'm sure you can find them in Proverbs, just like you can in, in other philosophy or in the Quran or the Gita. Yeah, that's the best part about being a good storyteller is that people see their story and their beliefs in your story. Beautiful. Yeah, that's it. That, that's the power of story is they see themselves in the story and they see the beliefs. And when you can see and relate to it and identify, now you're really connecting with people. I do feel like that's missing in the workplace. You know, that was one of the questions I wanted to ask you. I feel like sometimes in companies, you know, you're asked to create goals. Some of these goals seem contrived and they don't feel connected to the overall mission. And then you're graded or ranked on these goals. And then that's tied to how much money you make. Yeah. I think a lot of our systems and structures and organizations are coming out of a command and control approach to management. And so it's a scientific type of, of, of methodology that almost is, approaches it like a thing instead of like a human being. And we're trying to be efficient instead of trying to be effective. You know, be efficient with things, be effective with people. The moment we try to be efficient with people, it becomes ineffective because people aren't things. And sometimes our systems and structures, I mean, I look at when people have to do rankings and they, and they have to, again, different companies have different systems, but some, you rank your high potentials, and then you rank people that are low potential. It's kind of like a continuum curve, and that is right out of the gates denying the belief that people have greatness inside of them. You, did, you didn't just say the high potentials have greatness. You said people. So that's, that's at odds. That's a, that's a belief that's out of the command and control paradigm not a trust and inspire paradigm. And, you know, but, but still, is it real? Sure. It's, you know, we have to deal with this, but I, I think the key thing here is that we do need that connection. You use the word connect. We need to connect with people. And then we connect, we need to connect people to purpose and to meaning and to contribution that's broader at first. So that then the goals are within that context. So here's one example. I worked with the Pepperdine University, a great university, and their business school is the Graziato School of Business. And here's their purpose. We don't want to just create leaders who are best in the world. We want to create leaders who are best for the world, best for the world leaders. In other words, leaders that matter, leaders that are serving Leaders that are contributing, not just, you know, winning themselves and self-interest, but service above self-interest, best for the world leaders. Now, imagine if you're working at Pepperdine, it's one thing if you're a professor and I'm saying I'm teaching students to become best for the world leaders, that's inspiring, clearly. If I'm a student to be, I want to become a best for the world leader. So I'm learning how to become best for the world, that inspires. But look, what if I'm a staff member? What if I'm a janitor? But I'm part of a purpose that is creating best for the world leaders. Wow, I can connect with that. I can relate to with that. Then when my goals have a broader purpose behind them, then I can see how that is going to help me become best for the world and create best for the world leaders because of, uh, it's a, there's an alignment of it that, I, that feels more real, more connected. In the Trust Inspired book, I, I recite this story that's, often, that's been told before. John Kennedy 
when he said, you know, our goal is this is in the 60s, our goal is to put an astronaut on the moon and return him safely to Earth by the end of the decade. And so like a year and a half later, he's walking the streets at a NASA facility. He comes across a janitor and he says to the janitor, so what, President Kennedy says, what do you do? And he says, I'm working to put an astronaut on the new moon and back to the Earth by the end of the decade. <laughs> you know, it had gone to the end of the row. That purpose was there. And so I'm just saying, look, do your best as a leader to connect people to purpose, to meaning, to contribution, to make sense of the work that they're doing, that why it matters. And I think in some cases it might be easy, like at Pepperdine, that's an aspiring thing, create, you know, creating best for the world leaders. Maybe you're at a company that's not doing something inspiring, but maybe how you get inspired is that we're developing people that become great contributors to society. You know, there's a lot of ways you can make these connections, the connecting to purpose, to meaning, to contribution, to mattering. What matters to people is mattering. And so, yeah, you have an economic need. Of course, we all want to be paid and paired fairly, but we also want to connect with people with our heart and we want to contribute with our mind and we want to make a difference with our spirit, with the whole person to matter. That's body, heart, mind, spirit. We're whole people. That's one of the fundamental beliefs of a trust-inspired leader is that people are whole people. So if you believe that, then my job as a leader is to inspire, not merely motivate. Because inspire is a bigger idea. It's internal. It's intrinsic to breathe life into. Motivation is external. It's extrinsic. I motivate through carrot and stick and through rewards. That can, be, that can work, but it motivates people to just want to get more rewards. But if I can inspire someone, that can live on for years in some cases. And they move themselves. I'm not trying to manipulate it they are moving themselves because they feel inspired. So that's the idea. But I believe this, Rena, that we can become trust and inspire parents, trust and inspire leaders. And the key is to first become a trust and inspire person to apply it to ourselves. We, let's, let's focus on modeling and going first. Let's focus on becoming more trusting. You know, in a smart way, I'm not asking you to blindly trust people without expectations or accountability or to have a one size fits all where I'm too trusting when the risk is too high. No, be, be smart about it. But Let's become more trusting and watch what it does to people and how it brings out the best in them and how they reciprocate and return the trust. And then let's also become more inspiring. How? By connecting with people through caring and through a sense of belonging and then connecting people to purpose and to meaning and to contribution. Life is about contribution more than accumulation. And so we're trying to tap into that. I love that. Thank you. I can't wait to see like which area my dad wants to improve on. I need to ask him that. Is there anything else that you wanted to ask my dad? I have two questions for your dad. So the first is that, okay, if, if a trust inspire leader, there's three stewardships, modeling, trusting, and inspiring. So Raina's daddy, it's Wayne, right? Yes. Yes. So Wayne, which of those three stewardships, modeling, trusting, or inspiring, do you want to pick to work on to get better at? It doesn't mean you're going to ignore the other two. It just means I'm going to get started by focusing on getting better at one of these. So which one are you going to pick? That's my first question. And my second question to better ask daddy, <laughs> better call daddy. But now, now I'm doing better ask daddy. <laughs> <laughs> Here's my question, Wayne. Who trusted and inspired you? Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah. Who in your life believed in you, had confidence in you? Maybe he had more belief in you than you had in yourself at the time. Mm. Gave you a chance. Who gave you an opportunity? Who in effect trusted and inspired you? Because I'll bet there was 
at least one person, maybe more, who trusted and inspired you? What did that do to you? How did you respond to that kind of belief? And how have you tried to pay it back and pay it forward? Ooh, that is such a great question. Thank you. This is the best part about doing the show is that I get to hear all of my dad's answers to all of these amazing questions. Yeah. And I, and I listened to my show with your dad and I listened to some others and I love this part at the end and, and, and what your dad did for trust. It was beautiful. Um, I, I want to take him on the road with me when I give, give speeches because he summarized it so beautifully. And he, and he told also the story of how he's got someone running from him on a handshake because there's trust and, and that you do what you say you're going to do. And that that is the essence of what makes everything work. And, and he's right. Our, you know, trust makes our world go around. And I'm just adding to that trust, inspiration, trust and inspire. It's a new way to lead. It's a better way to live. We need it in our world. And, and we need trust and inspire leaders because then they become models and models can become mentors and we'll begin to ripple this out. And I'm looking at one right now and seeing you, Rena, and how, how you uh, have built and, and operate with this podcast that are called Daddy. Aww. You're a trust and inspire podcaster and person. Thank you. That is so kind of you to say, wow. I just love everything that you said in this entire interview. And it's truly an honor to have you on more than once. I was so touched that you reached back out. So Absolutely. please promote away, let people know how they can buy your books, support you, find you all that good stuff. You can go to trust and And the book is called just that trust and inspire. It's available anywhere online at retailers and in audio or ebook or hard copy. And, and I still like hard coffee, but I also like to listen to it. So there's some things on our website that will give you some tools and some videos and some things that can be helpful. So, but love, I, I you know, I really hope that something piqued the interest of our listeners uh, because I'm excited about this book. I feel like we need this in our world. This can be helpful in how we lead and how we parent. And it can, and we need more, I know this, we need more trust and we need more inspiration in our world. And someone needs to go first. And we can be that leader that goes first in trusting and inspiring. And I'll tell you, my dad would love to go on the road with you. So careful what you ask for. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> oh my gosh. So it's really funny Thanks. because now every time that my husband is starting to command and control, I use that terminology yeah. around the house. Yeah. Don't command and control me. Don't, and don't try to be efficient with me. Once you have the language, you start to use it you, on both fronts. You now have something to describe. That's pretty command and controlling. And you know what? This feels like trust and inspire. I just was on a podcast where they said, look, using the word should versus the word could. And the idea was should feels like command and control. Could feels like trust and inspire. It feels like an invitation. Should feels like a mandate. And, you know, people don't want to be by compulsory means forced to do something. Instead, they want to choose. So it's, they want the pull, not the push. And, and um, you can be compelling without being compulsory. And that's trust and inspire, not trust command and control. inspire is freedom, baby. It's freedom. And uh, it's freedom and responsibility. That's, that's the Netflix approach. Netflix, you know, they don't have policies on a lot of things, vacations, sick days, but they trust a lot. They extend a lot of trust. They give a lot of freedom. But with that is also responsibility. Because freedom without the responsibility could turn into anarchy or chaos or a lack of expectations or a lack of accountability. And at some point, you might have to pull it back because it could be maybe not a smart trust. But freedom with responsibility, you know, with expectations and accountability, that is a powerful combination. The freedom is inspires people and they run and they perform better. 
And then the, the, the responsibility is what makes sure that we stay smart with it. We stay aligned with it and it, and it keeps this working. All freedom without this other could be an advocate and abandon without the responsibility. So yes, but, but you know what? It starts with the freedom, with the trust. To be trusted is the most inspiring form of human motivation for all of us. I totally agree. Thank you. Thanks, my friend. So good to see you again. You too. Bye. Have a wonderful night. You too. Bye. Now, let's switch it over to Grandpa. Okay, this is the second time around with Steve Cubby. I agree with him about trying to inspire, trying to be the right model, and really trying to help other people. But I think, you know, we already discussed the trust issues on the last episode. But an added note on trust is that you want to be able to give people a sense of responsibility and accountability for that trust, but you don't want to be played as a sucker. So you have to still be able to measure some form of accountability for trusting people. Uh, They have to earn it. They have to earn that trust. You can't just give it away, Kurt Blanche. That's number one. You asked me a couple of very interesting questions is who inspired me? The truth of the matter is, is that I've had a lot of inspiration because I've been really lucky enough to be loved by a lot of people when I was growing up. My grandfather, my father, and my mother, maybe somebody might disagree with this, but I was the favorite of a lot of grandparents and a lot of parents where they pushed me and drove me to be the best that I could be. And that sounds familiar because that's what I push on my children is I want them to be the best of what they can be. And isn't that really the way the world should be? Is that we don't just think of ourselves, but that we push others to be the best that they can be. And the more people that you are able to inspire and motivate to do that, believe it or not, it punches your ticket with further wisdom points and with further acclamations of success. Because the more people that communicate and trust you and you give it back, and maybe you have to give it first, all of a sudden you build a following. You build a a culture where we all want to be the good guy. I hate being the bad guy. I love being the good guy. So if there's really a dispute, eventually I give in because it's not worth it to create everlasting animosities. That's not how you get ahead. And that's what this world has to learn how to do. Otherwise, we stay in the Stone Age when technology and things keep getting modernized. And yet we got to get people to modernize in their thinking and choose right over wrong. And the way to do that is exactly the way you said, is that we have to get others involved where they have purpose and where that they can be motivated that whatever their best is, is good enough. And it's just as an important job, as my dad would say, even the person that's cleaning the floor, to stand up straight, be proud of what you do. And no matter what anybody says, that being proud and not listening to people's attacks and having self-importance is the only way that we can continue to strive to move ahead with our lives, that we don't get sidetracked or pushed down by anyone that anyone can stand up tall and be proud of themselves and continue to achieve. And at least in my family, we tried to set up the tools where people, if they needed a lesson 
or if they needed to go somewhere or have an experience and they were enthusiastic and we're going to put in the work, we want to be able to create those opportunities. And should we not only do that for our family, but we should give those opportunities to everyone that is trying to achieve. And if we had a philosophy more like that, I think you're right, the world would be a much better place. So should I say that my grandfathers and even, look, even the, my wife's grandparents spent a lot of time with us. This intergenerational wisdom, you can learn lessons from even your children and your children's children, as well as us being part of our parents and grandparents and great-grandparents. Having that deep perspective and love is really, in my case, it was a very unique experience. Not everyone has uh, what I have. And I try very hard to take what was given to me and the legacy that was passed on to me. I'm trying to also take that legacy to my children and to my children's children and hopefully their children's children too. I'm planning on living a long time. So I think the other question that you asked me is which area could I really improve upon? A recent happening is that I do want to trust people that have really done me wrong, but I think we still have to keep our shields up and make sure, as I stated in the beginning part of the interview, that we have accountability. We don't want to be suckered. We want to make sure that the points count and that we're trusting people, but we have to make sure that they do what they've promised. And by giving people an opportunity to redeem themselves is also, I think, a very, very good trait to have, is that people will make mistakes. People will do you wrong. But to give somebody an opportunity for redemption, I think, also plays into that trust uh, issue. And of course, we discussed in our last interview that loyalty is also built. The better your trust equation is, the better your loyalty equation is. And when you have dedicated people and very loyal people, it's our duty as a leader to make sure that we take care of not only their needs, but where they have those same type of opportunities where they can be the best that they can be as well. I like that. How do you like that he was one of nine and every one of them felt like they were the favorite? I would be really surprised if anybody else could say that in my case, but isn't that what a great leader is all about? Isn't that what a great father is all about? To make every child feel like they were the favorite. I wish I could say that, that I could acclaim the same thing, but I certainly have some of my favorites, but I give everyone an opportunity to be my favorite. So that's where it's maybe a little bit different, but I love that idea. And there was a girl that was married to one of Maureen's cousins that she was so kind and so sincere, and so wanting to hear everything that was part of my life, where I thought she was like a a second wife, this girl Beth. And at her funeral, exactly the same thing was said, where they said, Wayne, you weren't her favorite cousin or friend. I was. And I said, I don't think so. Not with all of the deeds and all of the relationship that I had with her. And yet the way they exclaimed it, it was really a toss-up. She was just that nice and involved with so many people. And isn't that really also a trait of success in this world, where if you run into a person that you could honestly think that you were their favorite person? I just love that idea. There were so many great ideas. I also really loved that he said, whispering affirmations into your kids' ears 
that even if they're sleeping, they take that in on a subconscious level. And today I whispered affirmations to your mom and she remembered that she was a positive person. I think that's beautiful, but I do agree. Charlie Levesque, my French teacher, my debating coach, my chess coach, Pat Mercier, getting lessons from Greg Kadenoff, one of the world's best players at the time, having the opportunity to have the person that I had in pre-law, Professor Weber, so many people, Dr. Moise, when it came to psychology and human interaction, I have been fortunate enough to have had some great mentors across the board. And yet when I fell out of the honor program and was going to college and taking calculus, I got a tutored by a 400 pound girl. And she was so sweet and so nice to me that I thought that I was going to have to marry her because I couldn't get her out of my, my head. I've been fortunate enough to have so many people in my life that have mentored me and have given me an opportunity to learn. And I think that that is really a key because kids today, if they don't have a good example to look up to and encourage them and have their back when they fall, it's very easy not to be able to get back up. It's wonderful to have a teammate put out their hand and say, good job, even though you got knocked on your ass and give you a hand back up. Fortunately, I've had that my whole life, and uh, I try very hard to take all of those love and examples and help that I've gotten, and I try also to give that to others. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. Hold up. 